It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and The Sixth Doctor. And as the TARDIS dematerializes into the sunset, welcome to the show, everybody. It's the Cultman Collective Podcast, as you just heard, and uh, we're here on another Sunday, which means Saturday's just passed, which means Doctor Who has coming on, and we're here to talk all about the latest episode. So, uh, before we proceed, Dave, how are you doing? Uh, not too brilliant. Uh, I feel as though I've crawled up a flight of stairs on my hands and knees for about one and a half days to get here, but other than that, happy to be so. <laughs> well, did you notice that the stairs need vacked when you were going up? No, but there was a great big green uh, squadgy patch there. It looked like a root onto me. <laughs> we won't take that one any any further. We won't follow that line of uh, yeah questioning. Nope. <clears throat> Steering clear. And steering right into the path of uh, who else is here on the Cultural Collective today. Joining us on audio, Rick Wall is here. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Glad you could join us. Glad to be here. Glad to be anywhere. Yep. (laughs) Good, good, good. And also joining us on audio, Jeff, the Seventh Doctor is here. Hello, Jeff. Oh, he might be muted, but let's... We'll give him a moment to step in. Yeah, it's muted. Okay. I am self-muted. Yes, he's here, but uh, so we'll hopefully hear from him soon. It must be noisy where he's at. I understand it's noisy where I'm at. They're all in the other room, watching Minions, whatever that means. All right. Also, joining us on audio, Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. How are you? Good. I'm glad you could be here. Thank you, sir. And lastly, but not leastly, Mr. Cuddly Ken is on the line. Hello, sir. Hello, Ian. Hi, Dave. I am doing tryptophatically fantastic. <laughs> That's good. Turkey, turkey, turkey. Yep. <laughs> the language of America at this time of year. Turkey, turkey, turkey. Unless you have food right. poison. Yeah. Yeah, unless you have a tummy bug and and kind of enjoy the turkey, which is what happened to me. But, uh, yeah, enough of that. Uh, It's time to uh, see who's under the cone. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? 
In fact, don't even use the comb of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable comb of silence. What? And joining us on the go, which is a shorthand for the text chat, is uh, Jim and our, our Jim and Kathleen. Mad Hell is here. Mr. Williams is here. Symbios. And, of course, holding down the fort, Cybob is here. Welcome, 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 everybody. Uh, of course, feel free to put uh, uh, your thoughts into the text chat today, and we'll try and pick them up as we go along. Um, unfortunately, there's no news today. We've actually given the typing monkey the day off. Um, he's sleeping off uh, some turkey as well. Monkeys eat turkey. Yes, it's a thing. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, if you want to uh, come along and be part of the Cultum Collective, here is how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the Collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. There you go. It's that simple. And speaking of simple, it's day... Sorry. <laughs> That's just nasty of me. <laughs> Predictable. Predictable, but yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of collected, yes, speaking of collected, it's it's Mr. Dave Cooper, who has a collection of uh, people who want to talk all about the latest episode of Doctor Who. You do? <laughs> it's something like that. <laughs> Dave! That's what, that's what I, was about, that's what I was about to speak now, isn't it? Just to show I'm not simple. I'll have to introduce some big words. I'll have to have more than one word of the day as we welcome guest 13 into the room. Uh, guests who come in, we will allow text chat at a later date. So if you stay there and listen, we will uh, allow text chat later. Just to say that we are talking over, good heavens, would you believe it? It's the 11th episode already of Series 9 of Doctor Who, uh, Heaven Sent. And there will be spoilers. Uh, what I'm going to ask the different people when they do come to their turn to talk, or even if they are... Uh, jumping in to just uh, uh, add a point to whoever's speaking, as long as they do so with uh, you know a little bit of uh, forethought and attention. Um, try not to talk about the next time, uh, what happened in the next time trailer, um, or if you do, uh, can we leave that to the end and give a, a separate extra, extra spoiler warning? Because we do know that there are a number I of people... I think two of us haven't seen it. Yeah, there's, there's quite a few people that uh, that don't actually watch that yeah, action. Are in, yeah, so uh, mm. we're talking about all the way up to to the end of the main episode, which indeed, let me take the time to say, was a 55-minute episode. Um, and uh, viewing figures here in the UK, as it aired on the 28th of November, were just over 4.5 million, 4.51 million. And... Um, Let's, before I go first this week, we're trying to reverse the order in which people go each week. So um, I will play a clip and then I will have a few utterings to say. As you come into this world, something else is also born. You begin your life and it begins 
because she's dead and weak, then you understand very little. If you were any part of killing her, you're not afraid, and you understand nothing at all. So for your own sake, understand this. I am the doctor. I'm coming to find you, and I will never, ever stop. Okay, thank you. And while we were playing that, um, uh, Jeff, the seventh doctor, has put in the, the actually the next time trailer wasn't broadcast on BBC America uh, because the episode was extra long and they still aired it in a 60-minute time slot. And Jeff puts, we was robbed. Anyway, um, I, I'll talk first, if I may, um, on this particular episode. Um, I, I started off on a non-spoiler uh, thing that I posted on the Collective Facebook page by saying, well, it actually dragged a little bit in the middle for me. Um, and I think some people then thought that I didn't actually like it. But, but I did like it. I think it can be a classic um, episode. Um, it's not a companion light episode because we see uh, Clara uh, dying uh, in the previous episode. And although very nicely and very surprisingly, uh, it's about uh, 38 minutes in. Yes, I made a note of the time, Ken. And about 38 <laughs> minutes in, uh, she had a lovely little um, cameo thing, uh, which I was absolutely surprised at because... When we had this, um, and I have to say, Stephen Moffat seemed to be using his mind palace uh, directly imported from Sherlock, um, when the Doctor, uh, on a number of occasions, was um, about at death's door, one in particular where he's diving uh, from the castle ramparts uh, into what he doesn't know will await him. Uh, He says as he's falling, you know, always believe you will survive. And then... The faster he thinks, the slower time will go, and he recedes into his version of the Time Palace, which is in fact, of course, and understandably so, uh, the TARDIS itself. And we see uh, a very, um, not wooden actress, but we see what appears to be almost a still image of uh, the back of Clara in there, and we're thinking, well, they've worked around her appearance in this. Uh, But uh, I think that actually was to the benefit of when the short reveal of her little cameo came in, made it all the more beautiful. And her expression there was fantastic. But why am I talking about Clara when this was the tour de force by Peter Capaldi? Um, Because it was indeed that. I mean, a 55-minute episode where he's basically carrying the story. And uh, it wasn't his Scottish accent, because I I don't find that impenetrable. I, I, I can usually follow it. But again, I will have to say that um, the music did, for me at times, make it very difficult to hear some of the finer things that he was saying, especially because he was saying them, obviously, on his own in an introspective way. Um, And that meant that uh, it's only on second viewing that you tended, certainly for me, tended to pick it up. I tried to put subtitles on, but they didn't come on when I first showed it, so... When I watched it from the BBC iPlayer, who's unfortunately the, the the viewing numbers on that don't seem to be now added into or ever were added into the total number of uh, viewings, um, uh, I watched it again with the subtitles. Um, I think it was an extremely well set up. The the um, the machine that I'd wondered what is that the Lazarus machine or not? I want really I should have been able to work that out. I don't know why. Perhaps uh, the uh, the link uh, the uh, 
the name that Ian gave me is simple, may be uh, suitably ascribed to me at that point, because it never occurred to me, of course, that he had this transportation at the end of last episode on his arm, <coughs> and he arrived in this device, which he said uh, had the ability to transport him no more than one light year. And he also made the point of saying, and it would not transport him in time. Which threw me out a little bit of the story, because I'm thinking, well, there's no, as far as I know, the nearest planet is, Excuse me, I am baffling. Sorry, I'm just muting while I just uh, clear my throat. Um, the nearest star, even with or without planets, is four light years away. So I'm thinking, well, that that um, makes a problem for me. Ian, I'm just going to have to stop talking a minute, if I may. Okay. Not a problem. Yes, sir. Please excuse Dave, he's uh, a little under the weather today, um, so he may have to mute a little bit and uh, clear his throat. In the meantime, some tap dancing. I'll come in now. If I, uh, <laughs> if I, if I um, have to do that again, I'll uh, hope that you can uh, move us on to another person, but yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I, I thought it was really well realised, but it did throw this, especially when he looked at the stars and said the stars were wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. I've hardly talked all day, so this is uh, causing me a little bit of an issue, but I will gamely carry on for a little bit. Um, so then we have this um, rather uh, interesting uh, puzzle that he has to solve. Um you wonder, and I think uh, there's been a couple of podcasters wondered whether this was the correctly titled episode, Heaven Sent. It seemed a little bit more hell-bent. It seemed to be his own personal nightmare. But then he says somewhere along the line that um, he- um, hell is only a heaven for people who are, uh, have done bad things. But we have a, a rather nice thing. He goes out um, through the various parts of this. Um, and by the way, when I first saw this, tower this castle i was thinking is this the tower out of the five doctors which may not be that far out when you think about it because um that tower is on gallifrey isn't it in the uh, forbidden area or wherever it is so i was thinking that but the actual way it was um this is not a cheap episode because the cgi effects were brilliant uh loved all the uh the gear work again but um it was a little bit reminiscent of Game of Thrones, if anybody's seen the opening titles to that, with all the um, the cities that move and have various changes. So I thought it was actually um, a very good episode. We, we find the Doctor trying to pick up various clues, things that seem uh, done with no consequence at all. For instance, where he's pulling a few leaves off a, what looks like an orchid or so on, and one or two other things like that which indeed help him while he's in his brain palace to calculate his rate of descent and what was likely to happen and uh, the analysis that it was likely to be water and that he would survive that fall. Then we have this rather horrific thing um, where we see this bed of uh, skulls. Again, you look at those and you think, oh, those skulls all look the same. Perhaps all skulls do look the same. 
But again, that was building up to a big revelation later on. I like the idea that uh, the uh, Doctor, uh, you know, is uh, verbalising all the things that go along. He he finds that um, certain things that he says actually hold off this creature, I believe, called the Veil at various points. And he seems to have to be in a confessional mode to hold it up. And then a couple of times he retreats back into the TARDIS and we have this other use of um, uh, the companion, uh, the companion in his mind, his memory of Clara, uh, not speaking, but um, actually using a chalkboard and, and posing questions to him. But of course, he was interrogating himself. So there was an awful lot of good things. But let me just pick up on one or two of the things that um, that that I may have issue with it. Um, um, First of all, every room he went in, he makes the point that the room resets after a very amount of time. Yet he comes across this uh, enormously deep, 20 metres deep, whatever it is, crystal wall that's, I thought he said 40 times harder than uh, diamond, but was actually 400 times larger than, uh, harder than diamond if you listen. Now, uh, sorry, if you look on the uh, wiki page, and then what does he do? He starts to thump it. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Has anybody here seen Star Trek The Next Generation? Has anybody heard of the crystal entity? If you have a large crystal like that, the best way to break it down, surely, is uh, by sound waves. And the Doctor has a sonic device. Why didn't he think of using his glasses for maybe the ideal reason that they've been used for? And that is to... Um, get some sympathetic, or whatever the word is called, um, some sort of wave or thing to try and get it to vibrate. Uh, I'm not saying that that would have shattered it all in one go, but it would have uh, increased its progress. Maybe even if they had had uh, the, one of the two shovels that he finds. One, of course, is near the gravestone and is used to uh, save him with it propping up the door and obviously to dig the grave. But the other one seems to be just randomly in a corridor. If that was near room 12, uh, he could have actually even used the spade, although uh, that would have only saved his hands a little bit. It still would have taken him what seemed to be thousands, then millions, uh, and a very long time. Of course, each of these uh, ones coming around in a cycle of, I think he said, 82 minutes. Um, and then we have a really uh, few scenes again, that I'm a little bit concerned about. Uh, we have, again, the mention of this hybrid. And the Doctor, towards the end, says, um, of course the hybrid couldn't be Dalek and uh, Time Lord. There's no way that the Daleks would, uh, you know, uh, break their pure line and have, uh, you know, be contaminated with that. Uh, and we have the great revelation right at the end, but before the next time, that the Doctor, when he uh, actually finds that he's been in his... Um, his confessionary uh, little uh, device, um, and he's broken out of that, and he's now actually on Gallifrey itself. He makes the revelation that he is the hybrid. But they don't explain hybrid in what sense. Uh, I hope we're not going back to hybrid human and Time Lord, uh, a la the, uh, the movie, the Eighth Doctor movie. What else could he be? Is he a hybrid of Zyga, uh, 
a Zygon and a Time Lord. Because remember, on the Zygon uh, Invasion Inversion, everybody had a Zygon double. Um, and we had a very strange line in that episode where the uh, the Doctor says, now what would, you do? what would your Doctor do? Ah, uh, yes, the Doctor would do that. Um, which, which made me question about whether there were in fact two Doctors in that story. So, are we saying that he's got a little bit of Zygon inside him? I mean, maybe somebody can either speculate or, or say, not if they know knowledge from the next episode, but it did seem strange to me that. What else? Um, I did like the fact that um, it, it was this um, this uh, confessionary device that was where he was imprisoned in, uh, because that made sense again of when Mayor Me, uh, when she was transporting him, gave it to him. He said that they need this, but they said they need it, uh, but they gave it to the doctor. And of course, what I think, and probably many people here will think, Obviously, he got transported into that, but whether he also got transported to another location uh, during all the, uh, the the time that went on. Let me see. Is there anything else that I want to mention? No, I think that's probably all I want to say at the moment. But just to say that I think this is a story that will bear a number of watchings, although I did feel that um, casual watchers of Doctor Who may have thought the repetition overdone somewhat, but it was very cleverly done. The Doctor burning himself up to uh, recharge the transporter device that had the memory image of him in it, um, and then the whole cycle repeating. I just was a little bit confused about why everything else was reset, but not the crystal wall, and why indeed he didn't think about using his sonic glasses on that. But I like the uh, uh, reveal at the end that there's Gallifrey, which didn't look a destroyed Gallifrey by the time. Um, so there we are. Oh, and there was one other thing. He says uh, there at the end as well, um, I, I am the hybrid that's prophesied to come and, uh, was it dominate or conquer uh, our... Um, Rule over a conquered uh, Gallifrey or something. To thank that you, effect. thank you, Rick. But in actual fact, he's already done that. Isn't that what he did in the Time War? He basically, you know, uh, he he um, banished Gallifrey in a way, alongside the, with the other, uh, with the tenth and the uh, with the War Doctor uh, and the Eleventh Doctor. Didn't he do that that way? Um, yeah. You could argue he's already done that. So, I don't know. Let me play a second clip, and then if Darth's okay, we'll go for a more uh, sensible uh, resume of the episode. My life is a countdown. If I draw the creature to one extreme of the castle, and I run to the other extreme, I can earn myself a maximum... Of 82 minutes. 82 minutes to eat, sleep, and work. My work is finding room 12. The castle wants me to. It's luring me. The numbering is a bit confused. As if the rooms are all jumbled up. Maybe they move around. 
I saw the whole castle move when I made the creature stop. Every room, if I leave it long enough, reverts to its condition at the moment that I arrive. It tidies up after itself, automated room service. I think this whole place is inside a closed energy loop, constantly recycling. Or maybe I'm in hell. That's okay. I'm not scared of hell, it's just heaven for bad people. But how long will I have to be here? Okay, and thanks for those comments in the text chat. Perhaps we'll get them read out later, Ian. Uh, Dorothy, you okay? Well, I don't know if I'm okay, but I'm here. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, uh, I think I should start by way of apology, because I think I said last week you know, that Clara's death wasn't going to mean much unless it led to something significant like the return of Gallifrey. I really didn't mean to spoil the episode because I didn't, I had no idea that was going to happen for real. It just seemed like the most logical thing that you would do with the character, given the fact that she was so significant to the development of Gallifrey in, you know, the last three episodes of 2013. Um, But I'm very much happier now with Raven and her death in, in the last episode, because I think it, it does make more sense given the the level of importance that the character has to Gallifrey, um, so that she is the conduit by which the Doctor apparently is going back to Gallifrey is um, something that, that makes her death seem more worthwhile and more on the level of the deaths of uh, Katarina and Sarah Kingdom, rather than the... Uh, death of, say, Adric or whatever. Um, so that's good. I mean, it's, it's immediately improved, I think, Raven. Um, I loved it. I mean, I really did. I, I, I don't really have that many reservations about it. I think, you know, we run the risk of trying to be too literal with what's going on here. Um, I'm not entirely sure that um, we should believe that this is a you know actually was a castle actually was um, a uh, you know wall of diamond or whatever um, but rather just might have been a more metaphorical one um, it certainly is a metaphor it certainly is um, you know all the stuff with the bird all the stuff with the the, the the diamond wall itself. I mean that it, he he is literally quoting a um, Brothers Grimm story when he talks of that, and I, I I love that because that's a hearkening back to at least State of Decay or whatever, where it's implied that he personally knew the Brothers Grimm. Um, and, and I think you know it's no accident that he's essentially wearing Tom Baker's. Uh, outfit from um, you know that that sort of period from whatever season 12 through 15 well maybe 12 to 14 I guess um, without the scarf more or less um, and this is it seems to me this is a slightly different costume than the one in which he debuted because this is much more that sort of wine colored uh, jacket that that um, Tom Baker wore to begin with, and indeed Elizabeth Slayton wore to begin her run in uh, Sarah Jane Adventures. Um, 
and, and I think there's something appropriate to that. You know, and you got all these little reference. You know, you got the the spyglass from Robot, whatever that he uses to determine rate of descent and all that. Um, I think that's that's kind of cool because this feels like the you know the, a return to the period of time where the Doctor went sort of most often to Gallifrey or most memorably maybe to Gallifrey. Um, it is. It's it's a weird episode, obviously, you know, because you've only got the one actor in it. But yet, it feels like it's perfectly appropriate. It feels like we're finally seeing these one-off adventures that are that are implied by, um, you know, the 2009 season that must have happened between you know Planet of the Dead and Waters of Mars. Um, it's certainly less happy than those adventures, and it's certainly a very scary episode. Um, I personally jumped in the the, uh, the scene where he's digging, and then all of a sudden this creature comes out of nowhere, out of the ground or whatever, to attack him. I thought that was very effective, um, and I and I think that the, you know that you see the creature actually kill him over and over. Yeah. Oh, well, it, it, even the, just the first time that you see, he's pretty much dead, and then and then he chooses. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't quite kill him, but it gets him to the point where he then kills himself in the process of trying to reinvigorate himself or re. You know, I, I guess we're not really even sure what he is at this point. Um, it, it does raise some fundamental questions. Are we actually? now left with the Doctor? Or are we left with a copy of the Doctor? And is the copy of the Doctor the same age as the Doctor that was in the Raven? I guess so, you know, because it comes from data, and therefore data doesn't in any way degrade. Um, So, you know, in the sense that, I guess, Scotty didn't age any at all between... You know, what would that have been? Probably Star Trek Seven, and when he shows up on The Next Generation because he's been in that loop on the yeah. Dyson chair or whatever. Years. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't actually age because he's just added there. But nevertheless, he's in a different time than he was before. And I, I think we're meant to believe that the Doctor remembers doing this stuff because he, he says there is, it's always right here at this point that I remember everything. And has to do it again, and he sort of begs to Clara, you know, why can't I just lay down here? Why can't I just lose? You know, it's fine. And, you know, one assumes that when he finally breaks through, he remembers getting to that point. So, therefore, he must remember and think of himself, at least, as two billion years older, or however many billion it is. Um, So, that's... A really far out concept. It'll be interesting to see what he says next time somebody says how old you are. Because I don't, you know, it's always been. Uh, I read it simply, but I would say there's a digital copy still in the thing. So each time he goes back, mm-hmm. but that's, he's not, he's not having a million digital copies. It's the same digital copy it brought out a million times. It is, that's a differentiation. It was, the, the, the digital mm. one, the, the what he comes out and lives that eight to two minutes or whatever it is, and then uh, he dies, 
but that one, the one that dies, doesn't go back into the digital thing. We're back to the original digital. And so, in other words, each copy is taken from the. In other words, a little bit like when you do talk about film, they're all struck from the primary, um, you know, master copy. Yes, it's not, it's, no, a, it's, not it's not a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Right. Each time we go back to the master copy in the memory. Yeah, but he's noting um, each in each one of these well, he, sort of He has to write the each time. He has to write the bird again and set the clothes in the right position every time. So I'm, but I'm he also sure. says, I've been trying to get to this wall for 7,000 years, and then it's, you know, whatever, 120,000, and then, you know, millions, and then... I think it's because he sees the progress billion. on the wall that he... He must calculate that he's done it before, simply because. Well, that's the whole thing is, you know, before, when, when he when it, but that's exactly, but that's the whole thing is. Eventually, he does break through, and at the point that he breaks through, it's been whatever two billion years. Yeah. So yeah. does does he does he not does that copy not believe now that he's two billion years older? I think it does. That's the implication I got out of it. I don't know. I mean, it's the the doctor's age has always been. Um, imprecise at best, but this is a, a level of imprecision that is, you know, geometrically more than has ever happened before. And so I wonder, I wonder what he does believe that he is. And also, you know, it, it's still a, it's still not the real doctor. I don't think it's. I mean, it's a data copy of the doctor. It's not. I don't think it's quite the same thing as the person who teleported to. You know, and, and that's the other thing. We assumed that it was a teleportation, but is it actually more accurate to say it's a copying of himself into a machine? I mean, much the same way as, I guess, uh, science and library. You know, all those people were saved and therefore digitized, but they're not their actual selves anymore. Mm. I don't know. It's weird. It brings up a lot of sort of metaphysical questions on that level, um, which is great because that's, you know, it's just nice to have an episode that you really sort of have to think about and you know, try to figure out what exactly is the implication of all this. And we might not know until next week. I mean, maybe next week that will be made clear, or maybe it won't. Um, but it's weird. In, in this episode, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, not knowing it was going to lead again to the Citadel, and therefore Gallifrey, um, there are nevertheless... I, I think I kind of figured it out. I don't even know if it was halfway through. Uh, it might have been very early. I was very suspicious of the gears because the gears clearly are like the gears that we have now in the title sequence. I'm like, oh, okay. And not only that, but the way that everything is sort of based on circles anyway, which is what Gallifreyan language is like now. And it really felt like like when the building moved around in circles, I was like, that's kind of like when you look at a screen on the TARDIS, it kind of does that. And then the clincher for me where I was like, oh, we are on Gallifrey is or was uh, just the lighting of outside because they put generally a sort of orangey filter on it. I'm like, that's an orange sky. We're on Gallifrey. I mean, it's got to be. Um, so interesting in that it was kind of inevitably building toward the ending, which is, which is, I suppose, great, um, 
using all your departments to sort of ramp up the inevitable ending of the thing, uh, which is kind of like what we had last week, which was pretty great. And again, you know, we have a sort of literary reference that is flowing throughout in this, you know, aspect. It's not the entirety of the Grimm's fable involving the shepherd boy or whatever, but it's, you know, it's an interesting part of it. And that's why I think it doesn't matter so much that that wall, the, the damage to the wall is continuous, whereas everything else resets. Um, because I didn't really take that to be a part of the building necessarily. I mean, that's the exit. The barrier. So, right. yeah, yeah. It's the barrier between, yeah, so it's like, uh, okay, that sort of stays there. And not only that, but that's what he's trying to tell himself, right? Mm. I mean, by writing Bird on the floor, he's trying to tell himself, this. as long as you can get back to this place here, this place is not reset. This is where you have to go to, and it's your way out. Um, it's a, you know, it's pretty obscure, the word bird, uh, and why, why he would think that bird would mean to him this Grimm's fable. That, you can say, is, I think, a little bit um, tenuous, really. But it, it's at least continuous, even though it is tenuous. Um, and it makes some sense. Um, I don't know if I agree with you necessarily on the, you know, sonic uh, sunglasses need, needing to, uh, or or that they would necessarily be helpful in in establishing a resonance pattern or whatever. I don't. Mm, we don't know that. Well, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, if it's that much harder than diamond, you know, all it's got now. Uh, you know, you can cleave, you can cleave a diamond. Um, that what I was thinking as well was that, that, then I thought to myself, well, that can't be right. They'd run out of power. Assuming there's some sort of power stolen them. But of course, if if every every doctor is 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 newly out of the machine, so the glass is fully charged coming out of the machine. So, but but here's the thing, I think. You know, for all the fan dislike that I don't particularly understand of these sonic sunglasses, the thing that strikes me, and we don't know this for sure, but it, it strikes me that these are lower-powered things than an actual sonic screwdriver. Um, and I just don't think this is like... I don't think it has the same power. I don't think it has the... Like, if you had that big, thick 11th Doctor screwdriver... You might imagine, okay, he can use that for a while on it, and it's going to be fine. Uh, I just don't think they have the power to to do that to this, you know, heavy duty a substance, really. Um, so, I, it never even occurred to me that that was a possibility. And it, even hearing you say it just makes me think, mm, I don't think that they got that. And in fact, I think that's the entire point of him switching over to sonic, screw, uh, sonic sunglasses so that he could get into this position. And we wouldn't necessarily believe that he had the power uh, to use them. In fact, really, I don't think we've seen the sonic sunglasses open a door, have we? Yeah. I mean, we've seen that we have. Okay. I mean, I know we've seen them open Shackles, but that's less durable. When uh, the the the, the um um the pickup truck that he uh, that they went to um um Oswald and him when he goes hey specs uh, uh and gives her the frequency number, uh, the door is opened. Okay, I 
that's a pretty minor lock, though. Um, I, I don't know. It's just they are. I think they are meant. To, I don't know. I just think they are meant to um, be read as not quite the same thing as the sonic screwdriver. Seems to me, but I don't know. Um, and I also, I, you know, I love these things, first of all. Um, and so I think that they, they come to their greatest fruition this season at all, you know, to to be what he puts on as he announces himself to be the hybrid and is going into, you know, having this little shepherd boy, which is a nice repetition of the Grimm's fairy tale, go in to announce him as, you know, the hybrid that's to come. I don't know. I, I just, to me, it feels like uh, the season is nicely coming to its natural conclusion with a lot of little things being wrapped up. Now, of course, we don't know what the wrap-up actually is, but it just feels like, like just like the gears that we've had in this castle, that things are actually working on a level that maybe they didn't quite work last season. Maybe they haven't quite worked, um, you know, it, in as emotionally satisfying a way in quite a while, maybe. Um, but, I mean, there's just a, there are also just a lot of little things that are, Working here, I I really you know would pick you up, Dave, also on the the mix. Now again, this is something I think we've discovered this season that yeah. it does it does matter what your equipment is. But I thought that this mix, you know, I, I quite deliberately noted that we're back to Tim Ricketts, who's been the primary sound mixer for Doctor Who since it started, and and certainly you know the BAFTA award winning one. Um, earlier episodes this season were not Tim Ricketts. Um, but he's the guy. He's the man. It's like saying Ben Bird is back on the job, kind of. Um, and I found the mix quite amazing. I mean, the, the, really, seriously, this is to me the sound, the standout sonic moment of the series, as far as I'm concerned. Um, just the, the levels were amazing. The distance was great. Um, it, it was it was fabulous. I thought. Um, the other thing, you know, this the cinematographer in this one, and I can't quite remember his name right now, but he was, or she, fabulous. Just fabulous. Uh, some of the stuff, some of the shots in this thing, breathtaking. Really breathtaking. Especially how, um, uh, I think it's against the... The brilliance of the white diamond exit, or whatever, when the doctor is approaching that, but not really that close to it, and the doctor is only in shadow. Just that's hard, uh, and that's good stuff. Um, uh, you know, there are a lot of like great the like the whole thing with the. Uh, you know, this is a Stephen Moffatism being able to take something that is standard to Doctor Who's core legend and examining it again to find some new truth and new reality about it. The whole thing of the um you know, the reason that a door is so unwelcoming is because nobody pays any attention or even more brilliantly, you know, that it's always getting knocked on but it's never because the person wants to see the door. Because the person wants something else. Uh, and so by treating the door nicely it will open. I, you know, that's just 
crazy Doctor Who logic, but yet it totally works, and it redefines um, some things. But it also is like it's problematic in a way because he's also the guy, Moffat's the guy who introduced the notion of a sonic screwdriver not working on wood. And so he comes up with this idea of using, you know, sort of first doctor, third doctor, whatever, even sixth doctor, telepathy um, to talk to the door. It's like, well, why didn't you think about that before? Because he didn't. I mean, that's the answer is because you don't think of all your ideas at one time. But all those times where the doctor's been frustrated by a door that's wooden, you know, why couldn't he have done this before? And, you know, the answer is simply because it didn't occur to the writer until now. But it's a little bit, you know, from a uh, fictional standpoint, it's like, oh, you should have. And in a way, it's one of those lines that is great when you hear it the first time, but when you start thinking about it, it's like, oh, wait a minute. This could, it doesn't, it should have been thought of way before. It should have been, you know, part of the list of powers. But this is, you know, one of those things that just happens in a in a show that, you know, really has no Bible, in a show where, you know, one producer does not have a particular discussion with the next producer about, you know, this is what Doctor Who is and this is what it isn't. You know, it's this is one of the wonderful things, I guess, about Doctor Who, as in opposition to, say, Star Trek, where there, you know, there really is a Bible, where there's very clearly precedent that's been set and all this. And in Doctor Who, you don't have that. So you have these moments that, that come along, and as long as you're a casual viewer, you're fine. But then when you think about them, you're like... Wait a minute. <laughs> no, if this was a power, this is a power that he should have had. This is a power that should have, in fact, been, um, uh, you know, made it unnecessary to have a sonic screwdriver. It's kind of weird. It's kind of, you know, opposite. Well, this is a special castle, on. isn't it? He's seen the castle moving, so he knows that it's got some sort of, you know, <sighs> special abilities. I don't know. Some <laughs> I, I mean, that's certainly not the way that it's presented within the script. I mean, it's presented as, hey, I have latent telepathic powers, and if I use them just the right way, I can talk to the wood, and the wood will be nice to me. You know, okay, whatever. But, uh, and, and not, not only that, but I mean, it, it obviously, even though it's really cool, it does belie the central point of a door uh, and a lock on a door. And that is, it's not the door that's locked, it's the lock that's locked. Right, and that's why you need the sonic screwdriver because it works on the metal that is within the door. And then, you know, then that makes you go back and you think about Silurians. I mean, not Silurians, but um, wherever it's introduced, uh, the Hungry Earth or whatever that introduces this notion that oh, the sonic screwdriver doesn't work on wood. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense because it's not got a wooden lock; it's got a metal lock, and you're not asking it to work on the wood in the first place. So the whole thing, you know, if you really sit and think about it, it's great on first blush. It, it's actually kind of exciting on first blush as a piece of writing. It's really imaginative. But then when you really think about what's going on, it makes no sense whatsoever in and of itself. And it certainly makes no sense against, you know, the history of Doctor Who. So it's a, it's, a, it's great because it, it does make you think. It is very well written. You know, the, the language used is beautiful. But ultimately, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, that's sort of a metaphor for Doctor Who in and of itself. So, fair play. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, it's, I, I, to me, it's it's a very satisfying episode. It's, you know, I think we've had several 
satisfying episodes as we've gone throughout this season. Uh, and, you know, the fact that it does amplify the Raven, make it better, um, is a great thing. I just hope we're not sort of headed for, I mean, we had now two really great, strong episodes back to back. It does make one worried about the chances for the third, you know, because it's, it's more likely we're going to get a spare than a strike after three frames, but um, I don't know. I mean, we can we can only hope that it is, is going to be satisfyingly resolved for the whole season. Um, but I don't know. I, I just I I quite liked it. So good stuff. Okay. okay, thanks for that. Uh, I'll play another clip, and then Ian might be able to read a few things out from the text chat. And then I'll play a clip again after that if, if he wants a break before he does his little bit. And I'll try at some point later on to try and uh, uh, get a few pointers out of the Colton Collective page. But here we go in. Short clip. Long before the Time War, the Time Lords knew it was coming, like a storm on the wind. There were many prophecies and stories, legends before the fact. One of them about a creature called the hybrid, half Dalek, half Time Lord, the ultimate warrior, but whose side would it be on? Would it bring peace or destruction? Was it real or a fantasy? I confess, I know the hybrid is real. I know where it is and what it is. I confess, I'm afraid. Okay, Ian. All right. A lot of of chit-chat going on in the text chat, which is what they're for, you know. Um, Going back to the mention of uh, of, uh, the Mind Palace, um, got uh, Jefferson's doctor and and Cuddly Ken uh, talking about uh, uh, the fact it's been used, uh, just mentioned that it's been used in um, the Sci-Fi Channel series uh, Haven. And apparently, of course, it's been used in Sherlock as well, but also in Hannibal. Um, and Jeff mentions, and I don't know if you're going to be able to, to talk in old day, Jeff, so I'm going to mention this now, so in case you don't get to it later. Um, a, a bit of dialogue that didn't make sense to him was the augmented ultra-long, te- uh, long-range teleport, uh, which to him um, meant that it could teleport um, further than one light year. Um so that, that didn't quite make sense to me, and I could agree, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, there's no mention of, of how long a regular teleport can teleport you, so how long can a long-range, you know, ultra-long-range, and an augmented ultra-long-range. So, yeah, that um, didn't quite scan, I guess, but, yeah. Anyway. And can, uh, it trans- can it transport you into a moving spaceship at warp speed? <laughs> exactly. I like this ship. <laughs> Um, and uh, let's see, picking up on things in here that, that make sense because some of these, of course, are, are in you know comments made based on whoever was talking at the time. Uh, uh, Jeff also mentions Daleks have become hybrids before, so the whole mention of the, the whole hybrid bit bothered him a bit too. Um, and uh, somebody else says, "Oh yeah, that that uh, that's a slight mistake." There isn't it. I think that's in mention to the, the whole hybrid thing. Uh, 
I guess 13 says lots of mistakes, but, but still excellent. And Jeff also adds that it had to be room 12. Uh, guest 13 also adds in Tin Dog and I share a theory about the Daleks on his most recent uh, podcast. Um, he is indeed responsible for all of it. <laughs> all right, let's see. Scanning through again. Guest 13 also adds uh, many times during this he was channeling Tom Baker. Sometimes I almost forgot I was watching Peter Capaldi. Um, and somebody always adds that uh, there are moments I almost felt he looked like other doctors. I must admit that, that at one point, uh, during the whole diving scene and everything, I swear I was watching um, um, John Pertwee. Uh, I swear upside down, Peter Cabaldi looks like John Pertwee. <laughs> Try it. See, honestly. Really. Look at him upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Jim and Kathleen uh, comments, uh, for me, typical Moffat, great build-up, great performance. Uh, the resolution felt uh, like a cheat, and now, I'm hope- and now I am left hoping uh, a huge part of the universe will uh, be rewritten. Uh, all depends on the final episode, three out of five, pending. So that's uh, Jim and Kathleen's rating there. Uh, trying to pick up stuff again that makes sense. Uh, we had a, a, a nice little uh, chit-chat going on about uh, the whole idea of the, the copy, you know, is it a copy of a copy of a copy um, of the Doctor that uh, that keeps coming out of here um, and mentions, of course, of, of, of Scotty from um, uh, The Next Generation. Uh, somebody else uh, comments, yeah, I'm not happy with this copy idea. Technically, in my mind, he died, and now we have this copy thing. Um, my wife actually uh, wondered, um, was it the original Doctor that arrived there, that it was actually walking around doing everything naked? Well, that's interesting point. Not the naked, but the, the fact was that the original Doctor, because in the first scene, we see a hand dissolve into the ashes before mm-hmm. we see what was supposed to be our doctor arriving. So we don't know how, you know, whether that's the first doctor that that, that arrives. Right. Because the, the reason for that is to make you think, uh, mislead you to thinking that there have been other prisoners in this thing. So we see all the schools, we assume those are all the past people that have been, you know, uh, penalized to this place. We're coming in the middle of it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we are, yeah. yeah. So we don't know how many doctors have come uh, by. But but I I do think it's you're always going back to the copy that's in the machine. That that is. So I I, I still go by the thing that if you have got master tapes, we're printing a copy from the master tapes, and each time we're going back to the master tapes. So he, each of these doctors is only one alliteration away from the original. Uh, the 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 billionth one isn't a billionth literation away. Even right. though we have a lot of schools pile up. Right, yeah. but the point that I'm trying to make is, who, where's the original? I mean, a videotape of a person is not the person. So where's the original person? Oh, yeah. That's I what mean, I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's absolutely that. Um, I've yeah. had a long-standing thought about uh, transportation like that. I don't think it's the original doctor. But on the other hand, I don't think the one that actually arrives on Gallifrey no. is, a, is a copy of a copy of a copy. Right, right. It's a, 
Yeah, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's, you're, you're talking about going from the original digital transfer. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah. that's the advantage of going digital. But yeah, you know, but and I, I, guess that, for, I guess for sake of sanity, it's like that copy is so pristine; it's exact unto the original, even though it isn't. But like, presumably, that copy, because it's a copy, couldn't regenerate. It's a copy. Well, we don't and know. That's my, we don't know because well, it, because it maybe well, it, it already has all the concepts that make the doctor the doctor well, well, within it itself. It depends on whether that's Time Lord technology, doesn't it? I mean, if that's a Time Lord transporter, then, then it would have that ability to to keep the uh, all, all the elements of the, do- the Doctor intact, as it were. Because if you looked on the controls of that machine, they were in these circular formats as well. So it looked like it was Time Lord technology. Oh, no, it didn't to me. It looked like to me. Well, there's no, there is no such precedent for Time Lord technology because that's not how Time Lord's went with their technology. Well, all, right, the doctor, went. all right, the doctor in the past has used the transmat then from the R. Tr- okay, uh, right, and I, that's what I'd like to bring up. There was a comment about, you know, I think from Jeff, well, if it's an ultra-range, long-range, whatever, augmented teleport, why is it only one light year? Well, um, because in the Doctor of the Universe, that's, we've never seen anything that does anything as grand as this. Transmats have only been shown to work from, at very best, um, a satellite to, to the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, at, at, in no way do we have anything that could approach one light year. Uh, so uh, I think I think to mix Star Trek with Doctor Who on this particular matter is very dangerous indeed, and we shouldn't. Um, but certainly Time Lords don't have the need for this kind of technology. Uh, not really, because they either have Time Rings or they have TARDISes. So... Mm-hmm. What's what's the point of having a third thing that does the same thing? Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Any that that's that's, 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 that's that's well, but again, not because that's they weren't using time lord technology. They were using largely human technology. I mean, transmats pretty much. Well, that's what I mean. You know, but they have come through that usage and still been able to regenerate because we've got other doctors. So right, but this but this isn't. This isn't that. And then, and when you look at it, like from a design perspective, it looks like something Dalek. It doesn't really look like something Time Lord. I mean, the angles are there. The fact that you've got, you know, perfectly round things, that's really more like, seriously, go back and look at like uh, Journey's End and look at the technology in that final chamber. Um, it really looks a lot like this. Um, the, the whole outline of the machine looks like um, an, the Emperor Dalek from, uh, you know, at the end of season one. Wow. Ooh, I'm hearing myself. But anyway, um, yeah, it's it's there's there's a lot of room for doubt with this thing, both in terms of who originated the technology. And, you know, you got to think about what was the device that got him there, you know, the thing that was clamped around his wrist. Um that didn't look particularly uh, Time Lord. It didn't look like a Time Ring. I mean, it was in the sense that it was a bracelet, but its design really doesn't look like a, a Time Ring itself. Um, the fact that it had jewels in it was kind of weird for Time Lord technology, too. So uh, I, this thing is... I, well, it's not Time Lord, really. I mean, because if it were Time Lord, I think he would immediately be thinking, I'm on Gallifrey. 
and he's not apparently thinking that. He seems somewhat surprised when he makes it through and he sees where he is. Um, he must know. Well, uh, he knows the technology because he knows it's got, uh, you know, it's got um, a store, a frame store, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Guest thirteen just yeah. says um, every teleport is a copy. So at least since the beginning of the fourth uh, Doctor era, uh, the do- I assume he means the Doctor has been a copy. So. Anyway, um, what, where does he get? I don't know where he gets that. That's there's no history of that in the Doctor Who universe. Trump's that's all. Uh, no, there's no history of that in the Doctor Who universe. There's no there's no discussion of that in like Seeds of Death or, or you know where Transmites originally come from. We really shouldn't mix up our Star Trek and our Doctor Who here. Right. Um, yeah, I, I I think some people can believe though that if 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 the Doctor is travelled by Transmat. And we think, and if you're of the belief that, you know, the original dies and you the copy arrives, rather than the actual molecules move from one place to the other, but the actual, in other words, the the the, the, the original is broken down, but transcribed, and the electronic signal reassembles right. new new components into that configuration. Then you right. have a a second copy. You haven't sure. moved the particles. Although right, Star, I, Star Trek does say that. I mean, uh, you know, because we have that with the uh, the one where they say about your particles being reassembled. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I really do think this this is the first time in Doctor Who history where you've had something that you know. First of all, I think it's the first time anything's been called a teleporter as opposed to a transmat. Uh, that may or may not be right, but basically right. most of the time they're referred to as transmat. But this is definitely the first time where you have the technology described as something that first goes through a hard drive and that you're you know sort of recreating instances of whatever got transported by going back to the digital image that's on the hard drive and rematerializing it. So it... it, it that may sound perfectly reasonable and logical if you're a Star Trek fan. But I think we need to be careful in understanding that's not really the history within the Doctor Who universe. So it's really it's really important, I think, to sort of, you know, take a step back and say, this is actually something new. We don't really know how it works. It seems like it is making, you know, it's got an image of the original. But so far, all we've seen is we've seen an upload, apparently, in the, at the end of the Raven to this hard drive. So we didn't actually see the hard drive in the last episode. And then we've seen in this episode using that image to make like near infinite copies of the Doctor. And that's, you know, that's new. That is new, and so we don't really know how this works in the Doctor Who universe. Okay. So let's, let's move on from that point, if we may. Ian, do you want me to play another clip before you... Have your little chat. Sure, if you want. Yeah. The hybrid is a very dangerous secret. A very, very dangerous secret. And it needs to be kept. So I'm telling you nothing. Nothing at all. I'm going to do something. I'm going to get out of here. Fight. Whoever put me here in the first place. And whatever they're trying to do, 
my scattered thoughts on, on this episode. Um, unfortunately, it's put me to sleep twice. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that's the drugs I'm on. Um, or just my... Uh, I had to wait until the TV was free last night before I could actually watch it, so it was kind of late when I started watching it. Um, but the good thing is, is it kind of repeats itself towards the end, <laughs> and you kind of get caught up in where we were. Uh, so that's, you know... It, it's a really good episode. I don't know how, like, through through rewatching it, it becomes weird because you do. I mean, most most TV shows when you're watching rewatching something, you know what the end result is anyway, so you, you know what's going to happen at the end. But it puts a different perspective on it when you're because you know who the hand and the shadow belong to at the very opening of this episode. You know that it belongs to the Doctor. So. The different spin on it is that uh, uh, is that now you're aware that this isn't the first doctor to step out of the 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 transmat teleport whatever it is. <laughs> I'm getting confused with all this whole whole thing now. Um, so yeah, it it, it 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 makes it interesting rewatching it again to 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 see that uh, you know. You know what's occurring, rather than you know uh, trying to solve the puzzle along with the doctor and, and, and getting there at the end. You know you, you're you're well aware of what the puzzle is at this point, going into it, and watching it a second time. I hope that made sense to somebody. And a uh, couple of points that uh, that that don't make sense to me, or confuse me, or. I just don't just don't gel well with me is how come the wall doesn't reset every time? Why is that the one thing that doesn't reset? Um allowing then the doctor to, you know, progress through the wall every time. Um that I don't quite understand why why the why the rules for the entire um facility um you know are don't apply to this one one section. Uh, sometime during this episode, I became aware of where he was, that he was inside the confession disc. I don't know why. It's just a thought that occurred to me. I'm not saying, oh, yeah, I know everything about, you know. Uh, it's just one of those things that occurred to me. I'm like, I bet he's inside the, the confession disc, which then poses all sorts of different questions for me is because when the doctor teleported um uh, Mary Me had had the disc in her possession and put it up on the mantle or whatever um so did he just teleport from there to to the mantle piece <laughs> um, they put it in but, his pocket and they put it she gave no. it back and they put it in his pocket no no she he gave it to her and she put it up on she put it away somewhere Perhaps somebody can correct us in text, but I, I, I got the opinion that she gave it back to it because we were all mm. wondering why he took it with him. No, that, that's the thing that that's that's why I'm questioning this is because, um, from what I remember, she took it, so she has it. So he was teleported from 
that point of the room to uh, inside the, the, the disc. And so the disc is on Earth. Uh, so how does it end up being on Gallifrey um, at the end of the episode? Um, that that whole thing just, and uh, you know, unless she took it there, then the intervening time while he was stuck inside it. I, and, you know, how much time has passed you know, outside of, of, you know, what he was in. Excuse me for my break. I had to sip, sip on some tea. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure how all this works. It's, it posed more kind of questions for me than, than, it, than it's answered. Uh, one of the fun ones that I just brought up earlier, but uh, kind of glossed over it, was the, the fact that um, at some point or other, one of the doctors was running around naked because the clothes are sitting by the fire, um, which means <laughs> at some point, one doctor had to just leave his clothes and go wandering around <laughs> without them. Because they were still wet. Um, so yeah, they, just just as the the first one did. Well, it could have been the the others could have wandered around wet uh, <laughs> for a while, and then <laughs> then one of them just decided, oh, I'll just strip off the heck with it. Um, so that's that that's that's interesting. Um, <laughs> Peter Capaldi yeah. running around a, a castle naked. Um, what else was I thinking of? Yeah, it's great. It's a great episode for Peter Capaldi because it shows, you know, the, I don't think we've ever really done this before with any of the, with any of the doctors. I mean, we've had, you know, the doctor on their own without a companion, but we've had, you know, other cast surrounding the doctor. Um, this, we had the veil, of course, and we had, Clara, kind of, but but Clara was really the doctor. Um, so we've had we have him on his own and carrying this entire episode, and it's and it's beautifully done. Um, and the way he talks to himself or the veil or Clara, um, trying to sort things out in his head, uh, is really well done and really well written. I'm just not sure of the the whole mechanics of it, how we're now on Gallifrey, um, and, and, you know, what this all means going into the next episode. Um, how did we get there? How did the confession disc get there? Um, but I do like the fact that I was right that it was the confession disc that was inside, so, yay me! Um, I don't think I've got an awful lot to say that hasn't already been said by with David Darrett or somebody coming up after me. Um, yeah, I did wonder why he didn't use the sonic uh, glasses for anything. They, they they didn't make an appearance until the very very very, very end when he slipped them on. Um, I agree with Dave. You know, at least attempt to 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 use some sort of kind of you know resonance to to try and break through that wall. Um, I look for a week. Like, I look for a weak spot even. Yeah, and I mean, I I just don't. I mean, I don't get how something on it on something that's like, how many times harder than diamond was it, Dave? Four hundred. Four hundred times harder than diamond. I mean, eventually, yeah, you're gonna start. But yeah, I 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't. I guess I don't really understand why we had to go through all of this. Um, I'm hoping that maybe maybe there'll be a reason for that. Maybe they were trying to imprison the doctor in there. Yeah, for well, they gave a reason in that he had to get to Gallifrey the long way round. Right, but why did why did whoever uh, contact me or me do all this? Was it so he could get to Gallifrey, or was it to stop him from getting to Gallifrey? Well, may, maybe the Doctor sets up that message to himself in the next episode. Hmm. Yeah, because we. Outside of this episode, we still have what we were left with at the end of the Raven is is um, you know somebody somebody contacted her to get the doctor to wherever, and we still don't know who that was, why that was, and why they contacted her. Um, so maybe this will all be explained next week. Uh, well, we shall have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, I think that's I mean, that's all I've got to, to add. Really, it wasn't a lot. See, I'll have, I'll have more when we when we uh, uh, do the commentary. I'm sure. <laughs> okay, is that you done? Yes, at least for now. Okay, well, uh, thank you, um, Ken and uh, Rick. We know Jeff's not on audio, but uh, I'll play a clip and then we'll go to Rick next. Remember I told you that? Every room reverts to its original condition. Logically. He teleports us into the same. Teleport us. Fancy what? Just like 3D princess, really. Except they break down living matter and information. And transmit it. All you have to do is add energy. The room has reset. Returned to its original condition when I arrived. That means... There's a copy of me. Still in the hard drive. Me. Exactly as I was. When I first got here. 7,000 years ago. All I have to find... Energy. No real need for energy. Something to burn. Oh. Rick, thanks for waking. Oh, Rick's not on audio, I've just noticed. Sorry about that. Um, Ken, would you be so good as to go next? My I, apologies to the people who hadn't noticed that his audio had dropped off. If I can... Sorry, Rick. Sorry, Ken. If I can just slip in there because of something Ian said, just to give Ian the proper points. In fact, yes. Uh, the confession dial is taken by um, Mayor Me and put upon a shelf. That is exactly what happens in the previous episode. But, now here's the interesting thing. The line of dialogue goes, you might as well give it to me, well, approximately goes, you might as well give it to me. They've got other means that they could procure it, but, you know, just go ahead and give it to me. Uh, mm. So that's an interesting little wrinkle. Um, mm. So, 
you know. But nevertheless, nevertheless, you you remember quite correctly. No, it is just taken <laughs> and right. discarded. There you go. I was right, and Dave was wrong. Jamie, I win again. Throw <laughs> some sense, Ken, please. All right. Um, wow. Um, first, I got to give just a basic award to Stephen Moffat for what he's done throughout his tenure, taking a lot of chances. Uh, they're not always loved, but a lot of richness in in what he's giving us. In uh, we've seen a companion live her entire life cycle, and we've seen another one do it again, go through many uh, aspects of consciousness, and then uh, sacrificing herself. And it, this has never been done never before in the history of Doctor Who, and you, you see it really on television. We basically got a one-man show. It's a one-man play, a 55-minute monologue, and he had the audacity to trust uh, an actor with the brilliance of Peter Capaldi, who did not waste it. I I would have been loved, as much as I enjoyed Matt Smith, I think he would have given it over to, I think, a bit of trick and maybe, you know, too much humor or something in, in the same place. I would have loved to see David Tennant do this, or even a Tom Baker, you know, who, uh, you know, would, would, would have, I think, shown with his vocal charms doing something like this. But that was said, this 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 whole trap, this trap of the doctor, it, it's leaving more questions than answers on it. Because it is his mind palace and self-contained, and the, the crystalline structure, you know, within the... Um, I do remember what the name of, of the stuff was. It doesn't, doesn't matter, but uh, I'm sure someone will hear that. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not Adamantium, I know that. No, no, you got that from Wolverine. Uh, <laughs> um, but close, Asbantium. Asbantium. Right. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if a lot of this, if, if maybe, and I know nothing about next week, not a jot, um, except the BBC synopses, which don't give uh, some specific, except saying Gallifrey. Um, more about that later on, about my beef. Um, that maybe this entire thing is the doctor's whole thing to, to get to Gallifrey, that sometime he set this up. Um, it, it's almost a shame, with the joy of Day of the Doctor in Gallifrey reclaimed, Gallifrey saved, and and how they they saved the Doctor uh, in time of the Doctor, giving him an extra regeneration cycle, that he would that he would come with vengeance back to home, that he would come with with this dark revelation back. There's almost a shame to that, but which I hope is going to have a fantastic payoff. Um, I, I love the episode. I I thought that it it was a collaboration of of so many different brilliant hands. Moffat's writing, the uh, production, uh, the set design, great special effects, and people maybe think it's always oh, a 
stationary set, the the aspect of the clock work on it. There was a shot, a kind of a long shot of the TARDIS that was so brilliant when when he's in there, uh, you know, speaking to his the shade of Clara, and they like pan back, and it's cathedral like and gorgeously. I've never seen this new TARDIS looking like that. It, 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 it was it was amazing. Um, Murray Gold's music, especially, I was noticing in this, it would, it would set the tone. I, I, I hope they maybe even do a separate uh, album or something with this with this trilogy, because it was really noticeable how, how how good it was. I don't have a super spiffy sound system, but I, I envy Darth uh, in that. I would love to hear how the sound mix was. Um, I always watch the episode with the subtitles on just to, to really get uh, all the nuances and everything. And so, so good, so good. Um, but I can see how the episode could be polarizing. If you're not able or willing or really can get into this journey of, of surrealism that's been provided, uh, this, this experiment that he's doing, you know, in style, you're going to think, oh, you know, what, what are they doing? This is a this is a bunch of, uh, you know, BS. Um, because he he is at the same like like um, Ian said, he is at the same place that he was at the end of uh, Fear the Raven. It's it's he full of, of this anger and mournfulness and all of that. Nothing has changed except we have a, a thing that he has been toiling at this inner angst and and penance for millions of years. Now, saying that the doctor has aged, well, if we go by that each time, each replication is fresh from, from the original, he's newborn each time. So it's, maybe it's not an aspect of age. And whether or not, I don't want to get into the whole technicalities, but it made me think of a couple interesting sources. Him continuing on this ad nauseum reminded me of a Curse of Fatal Death with, with the Master keeping coming back uh, out of the squelchy pits, uh, quote-unquote, getting a more age, more age, more age, and then he's there with a walker. And this is going on like continuously. And that's Moffat's first throwdown with, with Doctor Who. So that gets me into that. And I remember one of the early Star Trek novels, Spock Must Die by James Blish. And there was a whole section in there with uh, Bones not wanting to go through the transporter because he's having a whole discussion of, I'm me, and if I go through that damn thing, that's not just transporting me. That's breaking me down and recreating me. And what happens to the soul? What happens to me then? Every time you go through that, it's tearing you down. Is that really you coming out of that? So that's an interesting question about, you know, every time that maybe use the transmat, but especially in, in this section, unless this is an aspect of Gallifrey technology about, you know, does the essence of the doctor change? How does this affect regeneration and all of that? Um, 
you know. Oh, yeah. But it, it, it was amazing. I, 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 I was engrossed with it. To use the shade, this, his childhood fear, as the example of that which is going to kill him. And he is embraced by death each time, his own death. Um, you know, Dave mentioned earlier about the 34-minute the mark, uh, Clara's appearance. He probably uh, could hear the sniffle uh, from over there in the U.K., from Los Angeles, uh, for me watching, because she may not be in the show, but her presence was filled so much by the episode as an additional character for the doctor to play off a con and his, you know, the the twin cycles of penance and revelation, which which um, underpin the episode. Um, about the revelation um, on that, well, it was spoiled for me, uh, and it not intentional by reading review, but but even more so the BBC and and I really don't understand why they do this. This is what was put in TV guides, cable guides, etc. Uh, quote this: trapped in a world unlike any other he's seen. The doctor faces the greatest challenge of his many lives. Pursued by the fearsome creature known only as the veil, he must attempt the impossible. If he makes it through, Gallifrey is waiting. Now, why in God's green earth did they feel it necessary to have that final line? To ruin it for anyone just casually setting up their DVR or looking at a TV guide or what have you, weeks before. They didn't have to do that. You know, I, I even put a post like, you know, you know, uh, beware. You don't accidentally see this. So that whole surprise, which I would have loved to have had fresh, was blown for me. You know, and shame on them for that type of thing. You know, I hope they do get a lot of flack and all this. Because, I mean, this, this I think, is worse than... At any time, I I didn't know at the end of time, in part one, we were going to go where we were going to go before that week, before before that show, and that made it a, an added treat. So you know that whole thing about where he is outside outside when he breaks through, you know, but him him talking about him being a hybrid, I I was construing that he was saying that. Oh no, not Dalek and human or Dalek and Time Lord. It's all Dalek. Daleks wouldn't have it any other way, which almost like says is the Doctor a Manchurian candidate, or is that Dalek nature always inside him that he's keeping control of? I'm throwing it out to everybody. Did did, did anybody pick up on that or is that just how I was interpreting it? No, I didn't catch that. Okay, because it, because it seemed to be that 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 he was part uh, aspect of Dalek because that is the legend, and he was confirming, but he's saying, oh no, it's it's not just both; it's it's all or the other. Yeah. 
No, I think it's going to be just simple time or human. Okay. Okay. But I don't think it's going to be literal. I think he's going to be something like, well, you're the ones that sentenced me to go to Earth. And so I spent so much time on Earth. And for a long time, I thought Gallifrey was gone. So Earth was my adoptive home. So okay. know, I've now been infected by their feelings, I guess, or something like that. You think the whole Dalek bet is just the sum of a legend or not? And that's not, it shouldn't be taken literally? Uh, well, the yeah, legend is hard, Brad. I mean, no, the legend is. Oh, legend. No, yeah, right. oh well, yeah. Uh, well, no, you see. Uh, no, at the end, I guess he does dismiss. Does he just dismiss the legend, or does he say the legend didn't, couldn't possibly have included dogs? Or, or, can be read, or is he saying the that it's all one? I don't know. I don't know. That's hmm. quite, that's see. I mean, that, that's you know. That's the beauty of yeah. That's, that's what we're gonna we right we're now. gonna find out. Mm-hmm. But it's like it, it's a head scratching, going like, like wow, and um, but just just listening to it over, over playing back just clips. God, he's got a great voice and the tenor of it and the different and how how ancient and weary and amazing he is in in the, in the thing, you know just. You know, Rich, Rich is uh, such a rich show. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope that the third part is still the charm. You know, but it, but it does, it does make Fear the Raven, Raven you know, as, as you were saying, Darth, so much richer and, and it, the ache of it all because it, it, it is such a factor. And just also... He did, but he did blow it. Clara wasn't a companion. Clara was becoming the doctor. Clara was acting like she's the doctor. She, she was not cautionary. He is not there to oversee or make sure, or uh, something. You know, she took it on. Oh, everything's going to be all right. In inducing her own doom by her actions. So it is a great failure on his part, and he, he's going to. You know, bear yeah, bear that cross and bear that guilt. And I'm wondering how much of this was a trap that was laid for him, and trap, and how much is just played out that we're just not literal, but 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 seeing his his soul laid bare on this a trap of his own making, so to speak. So I don't know, but I think it, I think it might be the doctor that set this process up. Yeah, he's, he's done these type of things before, and then you know, I, yeah. But five out of five for me, five five out of five, and um, yeah, uh, truly great. Okay, well, um, I'll play another clip, and then I'll attempt to read some bits and pieces from the Cup Effective Facebook page. If anybody wants to put in any ratings, I'm sure he'll be able to get to those a little bit later. A little bird comes and sharpens its beak on the diamond mountain. Nearly a billion years. Ah! I'm a new time! 
the reveal of the uh, the veil being uh, some mechanical or clockwork device. Um, I, I'm not sure, for those people listening later, that I can do justice to all the uh, uh, threads that uh, are on the uh, Cut and Collective Facebook page. I'll just try and pick one or two things out. Uh, Jeff Waddle, you can take your Genesis, Five Doctors, Caves of Androzani, whatever. I genuinely believe that this is the best episode of Who I've ever seen. Um, Craig um, uh, this had the deadliest satin, satin written all over it the stuff of nightmares and genuine frightening images I can still remember the child being genuinely scared uh, at that Tom Baker sorry I can remember as a child being genuinely scared at that Tom Baker story um, uh, and uh, David, David Gallagher was disagreeing with something I had written about it dragging slightly in the middle I dis- couldn't disagree more that uh, with day that it started to drag. This more than justified the running time. Epic, stunning storytelling. A career high point performance from Capaldi and a stunning choosing closing scene leading into next week. Um, uh, Craig also agrees, agrees about, although the music was good, it was drowning out the dialogue at times and not for the first time this series. Um, I confess I need to watch it with the headphones next time to try and catch everything. I'm Scottish, so it's not the accent that's the problem. Um, then we had that, um, let's have a look. Oh, there's tons of stuff here. Um, so, sorry, Dave, did that last person say the music was drowning out the dialogue? Well, it, it was for me on, on my... Sta- uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. Just towards the end, especially when, when the Doctor was being even more introspective. Um hmm. Uh, the, like the one where he's actually at the crystal wall and he's he's saying a number of things just before the hands come over his face. Mm. Um, that That is a, lo- a lower volume. But again, um, I'm not saying it, it was wrong. I mean, I, I just need to spend some money, that's all. <laughs> that's an easy solution. No, it's interesting because I, I really thought that this episode... in. in Aside from having a good sound mix, I really thought this episode was characterized for me by being um, deftly, or, or by by deftly using music, and in, in that there were a number of places where there really wasn't music, or where, there, where it was very minimal indeed. And so to hear that's 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 an interesting comment because it just wasn't my experience at all. Hmm. That's cool. Great use okay. of cello. You know. 
I think there's going to be underscoring. <laughs> yeah, and 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 an interesting, you know, I think that you were really interested Ken, in the musical score itself. And the, the thing that's fascinating about this one is that um, for Murray Gold soundtrack, I think it's unusually traditional, which is to say, I think he took one look at this castle, and I'd love to know what the castle was because I don't, I don't think that's. Pickwode in in his entirety. I I mean, if it is Pickwode, then I think he's even more of a master than I believe. Uh, I think it was in some places a straight location shot, and I'd love to know what the location was or what the locations were. Um, oh, the interior but, looked like they looked uh, like from the almost people one. Looked like the castle from the almost people. Oh, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah. That'd be interesting to find out. Yeah, but it, but. The the thing about this score was it was unusually like at points I thought I was listening to Mozart like Requiem Mozart yeah. yeah you know what I mean I mean it wasn't like he was sitting there trying to come up with his own melodies really particularly I mean I don't want to accuse him of, of uh, I don't know plagiarism but I do think that you know again the wonderful thing about the Moffat era as opposed to the RTD era even though you've still got Murray Gold. It's like he's encouraging Murray Gold to use his soundtracks and to use music in general as an educational tool. And this is like pretty much all... I mean, there were one or two moments of electronic music, which was surprising. But by and large, it was like, here you go, kids. We're going to have you listen to like the stuff that you would find in the proms when it's not Doctor Who proms, when it's like the real straight up proms. Um, very <laughs> traditional gothic sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, but certainly, you know, Requiem. I mean, I really did keep thinking, you know, this is the scene in Amadeus where <laughs> um, uh, Mozart is about to die. <laughs> That's what I thought in several points. Um, I don't know. So, I mean, they're going to start playing the DSA array in a moment, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, really, seriously, it was it was that sort of, you know, really, uh, you know, I, I don't like to bandy around the term classical music because that's not very precise, but still, it had it had the feeling of not being composed by Murray Gold, even though it was, which you know, again, just gives me great respect for Murray Gold. Yeah. Sorry, Dave, I didn't mean to no, hijack no, that. But, no, no. Uh, uh, let me just go back to the thing. Uh, Perry puts as soon as I saw the. The dry clothes at the fire. I knew what was going, and uh, and I really liked the ending. Then there's a lot of discussion about naked Doctor Who, and then uh, <laughs> Mark Goodacre talks. Uh, really wanted to like this episode, but couldn't help finding it fairly boring. Not sleep no more boring, but still fairly boring. Uh, Todd uh, finally watched it. Actually, I love this one. Minus one niggle, which is something uh, they might touch on later. Who made the deal with Mayor Me to get the Doctor there? Presumably the hybrid who, uh, whoever that might be. Uh, but of course we've speculated it might have been the Doctor himself. But that will be mm. hopefully next time. Um, uh, and in fact, that, that's where I think the conversation stops because uh, some people had a little bit more knowledge than us. Let me uh, play... The final clip, I've got the next time clip, Ian, that we'll play on the outro. But um, if uh, if there's any ratings for you to read, I'm going to give this, by the way, I'm going to give it, uh, I think, four out of five. 
maybe it will go up to a five. It may well depend on part 12 as well. Here's the right. last clip. Go to the city. Find somebody important. Tell them I'm back. Tell them I know what they did. And I'm on my way. And if they ask you who I am, tell them I came the long way around. probably still hear me so just between ourselves you've got the prophecy wrong the hybrid is not half Dalek nothing is half Dalek the Daleks would never allow that the hybrid destined to conquer Gallifrey and stand in its ruins Cinematic music there indeed, yeah. <laughs> okay, in anything to read out? Yes, 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 sir. Da, 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 da. Ratings. Uh, Cybob, that uh, that episode was something rather special. Automatic 5 out of 5. Capaldi is spectacular. Guess 13. Uh, gives it a 4.8. Possibly revised next week on da, 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 Doctor Who. <laughs> Uh, let's see, uh, nothing from, oh yeah, Jeff is further down, uh, talk of a gravel-voiced Jewish girl, uh, <laughs> and talk of, uh, who the, the hybrid is, da, da, da. filtering up, sorry, <laughs> uh, Jeff, uh, seventh doctor is, is five out of five, uh, really nothing to bring the rating down, apart from maybe next week, <laughs> Uh, let's see, Symbios, uh, 3.95. Great payoff, but I have to admit, uh, I did find uh, it, it dragged a bit. Uh, it's worth a watch again because of knowing the end. And that's the end of the ratings. Okay. Right. Um, are you going to play the two final clips and play us out at the end? I can if you want. Where are we at? I gotta scroll well, up. I can, uh, well, I can. I can play the final clip if you've got the outro ready. Uh, when when do you want to play that? Do you want to play that after? Well, which way you usually do it? Do you play the outro and then the the clip, or the other way around? I usually play the clip then the outro, right, but okay. I'm just worried just because there's just so much information and. In the next time trailer, and people are trying to avoid it. I just want to make sure we give right, everybody well, the chance to duck and cover. Well, do you want to play the outro first, and then I'll play it before you close it out? That that'll work. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that means we're. Uh, do you have any other clips left apart from that one? Nope. That's it. Uh, we're done here. Thanks everybody for staying with us. And uh, yeah, well, I, I, just, I actually just have one last question from that clip that you played. Who the hell yep. is he talking to? He's talking to the device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talks to the but, device. Oh, um, to presumably, what? whoever's controlling the device. Because he looks at it and he says, He's I, looking down. Uh, I know no, you no, can no, still no, hear no, me. No, 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 no. No, I mean, I know... I, I mean, I know from... The, the, I take the it he's still looking, he says, and he's looking down at it. 
No, no. <laughs> I know from looking at the scene what it appears that he's talking to. He's, he's obviously talking to the vice. But who do you think is listening? I don't. I don't understand what. Mm. I don't understand. I mean, because it's it's a you know it's a time lord device, so therefore it's bigger on the inside. So his voice is presumably not going to exactly carry to the castle. But even if it carries to the castle, who in the castle is there to talk to? I mean, he he's never been shown as talking to like the the creature inside of it, right? He's only talking to himself. Well, really, he's talking to Clara, really, throughout the episode. Um, so who the hell is he talking to? I don't. That's the one part that I don't really get about the, well, kind of the whole thing in a way. Um, I just found it really curious that last little bit. I suppose it depends on whether he set it all up or not. But even if he didn't set it up, I mean, who could possibly be hearing his voice? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I do that out there at the end because that's where it comes at the end. Yeah. Mm. Right. But I suppose we'll find out next week. <laughs> yeah. Tune in next week on Doctor Cliffhanger. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for us. Uh, of course, you can catch Dave and I and our special guest. <clears throat> on the Quantum Collective Commentary, which hopefully we'll be recording tonight, depending on how my night goes. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. It's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. Wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> this one. And tune off if you don't want to hear the next time. The hybrid. I think it's time to tell the truth. I heard the doctor had come home. One so loves fireworks. What's he up to? The hybrid is a creature thought to be crossbred from two warrior races. I know I went too far. You have broken every code you ever lived by. On my command! Is it true? She's my friend. Let's see into sector 52, extraction chamber 7, regeneration in progress. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.